Hello, and welcome to the Natural Evolution Podcast, produced by Rebel Health Tribe. I'm Michael, and I'll be your host. Together, we will be hearing inspiring stories of healing and transformation, learning from some of the brightest minds in the world of functional medicine and holistic wellness, and exploring the world's best health-related products, services, tools, and resources. And we're live. We finally hit the record button after sitting here and chatting for 45 minutes. I am joined on this episode with my friend, Sean Merrick. Sean, thanks for being here. Well, it's an honor to be called your friend. Um, I respect the hell out of you and watching what you post and the knowledge base that you have and who you have on has been inspirational. So for you to call me friend, then I'm honored and I'm honored to be here. Absolutely, man. Thank you. So before we get started, though, I know um, I should probably introduce you a little bit. So Sean was educated by Mavericks in the field of integrative psychology and holistic health and shamanic practices. He focuses on healing by utilizing depth psychotherapy, functional medicine, and psychedelic ketamine-assisted psychotherapy to spark life force. This total being approach fosters balance within your psyche, your physiology, and your spirit. In short, Sean's focus on the interconnections between mind. Sean's focus is on the interconnections between mind, body, and spirit. And I believe your Mm -hmm. career kind of went like a similar trajectory to like how I went through. I don't know the order though. Like so, between the 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 health and functional medicine, nutrition, wellness side, and the psychology, spiritual, mental side, which was your chicken or egg, or which came first? Um, wow. That's a really convoluted (laughs) answer. So it really started with an inner passion. I tell the story just about on every, um, podcast or, uh, presentation or something that I'm on that it really started with a conversation with my father. I think I was about 22. My brother was present. So one day I need to ask him how old was I, but it was about 22 and we're discussing tattoos and my dad didn't like him. He said, well, what tattoo would you get? And I said, I want the Vitruvian man. So you being in Italy, uh, Leonardo da Vinci and the Vitruvian man. And for those that don't know, it's the, ma- it's the man in the square and circle. And he asked why. And I said, well, it's associated with what my feelings would be about mind, body and spirit or mind, body and soul. So that's where it started. But the functional medicine component um, came after my awakening with psychotherapy and we can get into it if you want, but I went in a dark hole and it was an existential crisis come to find out that I was living up to societal expectations. Give it, get a six figure job, get married, buy a house with a white picket fence. And I was miserable. And not only was I psychically miserable, I was physiologically um, handicapped. I was sleeping four hours a night uh, on medications, trying to manage this and all the answers that came forth were, we'll take this for that, take this pill for that, take this sleeping aid, take this volume. Now let's give you Adderall to help you from the fatigue. And luckily that discussion from my dad led to an undergraduate degree in clinical exercise physiology. So I had lifestyle first. And really? I've been you have a do... degree in exercise physiology. Yeah. Did I know undergrad. that? That's what my master's yeah. is in. I know. That's crazy. Okay, cool. Yeah. High five to not so, being a personal trainer like we were going to do. <laughs> well, that's what, oh, that's another personal story. My dad's like, yeah. oh, I'm a personal trainer. I'm like, dad, I'm way more than that. Yeah, I and tried not, it. <laughs> not, not to. No, there's awesome trainers the out there. I'm sorry if that was not meant to be offensive. I have friends who are trainers. I, it's just not for me. <laughs> and it's not, it wasn't for me either for the reason why I went to psychotherapy is people don't like being compliant. And they really like somebody doing something for them. And that's really comes into what we'll discuss, which is in the psyche. Well, I was suffering physiologically, um, not knowing it was because I wasn't living up to my existential responsibility to be everything I could be and wasn't getting the answers. Thank God I had a holistic lifestyle first and hired a naturopath. And at that point, I began to read functional medicine. And I kind of had an idea and I went to her, I said, Hey, please just run this test on me. And she ran a test and approved everything she was doing was contraindicated. And I was like, well, you're fired. So I fired her, went home really depressed. It's like, okay, I'm going to have to invest in a functional medicine physician. 
search for a functional medicine physician, lo and behold, functional diagnostic nutrition came up like, okay, what's this? And you and I've graduated from that. And it's our ability as a non-licensed provider to have access to functional medicine tests and a holistic profile. So I took that course first back when it was cheaper and I was pissed because they didn't teach me organic acids. They didn't teach me Dutch. They didn't teach me blood chemistry. They didn't teach me uh, methylation all these fancy tests. So I went off and like with you, Michael McAvoy, and metabolic healing, he's a genius, but I also did Kalisha Institute, Pomeroy Institute, Institute of Functional Medicine, Functional Medicine University. So that was about in 2016. So you like learning stuff. So I like learning stuff, 2014, <laughs> 2016. And then I made the, the jump to pull the trigger on stopping everything and changing my career and lifestyle in 2018 and enrolled in grad school and am now a marriage and family therapist, psychotherapist. Okay. So yeah, you, you kind of went physiology to functional medicine to psychotherapy, uh, but just in a little bit different of a roundabout way. Did you say Pomeroy Institute? Lisa? Lisa. Study with Lisa? Yeah, she's super cool. I like her. She's smart. Um, I've never taken her courses, but I've reached out to her to consult with her a few times when I ran into some situations that were above my pay grade. <laughs> so uh, she's a smart cookie. Um so then 2018, you dropped everything, switched careers, went into school, uh, back to school again, and mm -hmm. uh, to go master's program, right? For what is it? What is the? It's a master's in psychology emphasis on okay. family therapy here yeah. in California. Gotcha. So, but it was, you noticed, and I noticed this too, and I, I felt totally inadequate to address it pretty much at any point um, during my career either, because I was a trainer for a little bit and then I kind of mixed it with nutrition. Then I found FDN like you, and then I started mm -hmm. doing labs and I went through the Czech Institute programs, uh, which are more like holistic health with fitness with, I don't know, Paul's a weirdo and awesome and smart and all that. And I learned great stuff over there. And um mm -hmm. I, I use weird in an endearing way. Anytime I ever say it for the record, it's not meant as an insult. So um, the uh, I, I noticed too that, that I would give people these, these programs like exercise programs, nutrition programs, supplement protocols, whatever. And then I'd have a checkup appointment with them a few weeks later. Be like, how's everything going? Be like, it was going great for like a week. I felt awesome. I was doing all this stuff and then I kind of fell off the wagon and this happened. I can't do this. And I'm like, well, it was going good. Why didn't you just keep doing it? Meanwhile, my own life was a mess and a disaster. And I wasn't doing any of the things I was supposed to be doing either, but I wasn't willing to turn the mirror around at that point. So it was uh, other people had a problem being compliant with programs. And I noticed, you know, I'd occasionally have clients who hit it out of the park and they did all the things and they felt awesome. And it was great. And it was a huge win. And then most of them really, really struggled with doing the things. Yeah. And it wasn't that they didn't know what they were quote mm -hmm. supposed to be doing or mm -hmm. eating or not eating or whatever. Uh, they just couldn't do it. And I, I just, I felt judgmental at times and then totally inadequate as a coach. Like I can't, I don't know how to get them to do it. And so that's when I started to dip my own toes in mental, emotional side of things. But it was a, it was a very hesitant dip because I didn't want to go there like myself. And right. so, um, right. so you went back, you, you went into school and that's no easy task. We were talking before we went on air that I thought about doing that and was scared away by all the hours and the, mm -hmm. and the clinical hours and the another graduate program and all of that. And I loved your response to that was that time's going to pass anyway. Mm -hmm. And it did. And so now you have your therapy practice and yes. uh, we're here to kind of today talk about where these things overlap and because I, like you, I kind of balance between two different worlds of healing and I've heard people use the term like sides of healing. Like there's the nutrition, functional medicine side, and then there's like the mental, emotional, spiritual side. And can you comment a little bit on like why that may not be the best way to, to look at things or how does your experience see that? So it's the experiences that we go through life in a compartmentalized approach. 
well, we'll go to work so then we can come home and have a living. And same thing with our, with our health. When we go to a doctor, it's compartmentalized. We go to an endocrinologist. We go to a cardiologist. We're not compartmentalized beings. And it, all I have to do is just say, well, okay, our, our, our brain is a linear cognitive processor. And our body is a meat sack that gets us everywhere. But it's really interesting that it's our thoughts and emotions and feelings that drive both. So tell me where that is. And it's somewhere, it's either around me, you know, when we feel stress or depression, it feels heavy. Well, it's not in your head and it's not in your gut. So where is it? So we we've taken on a compartmentalized approach when really what we need to do is go back to the basics that were taught as far back as 15th century, by the way, in Italy, where it's mind, body, soul. And we have to look at all of those together and not take a compartmentalized approach and go think that some specialist in a field is going to help us with that. So that's where the psychoneuroimmunology comes up academically, which is the connection between our mind and our body, it's bi-directional pathway and how both affect each other and our mental emotional state can affect disease states now. And we know that peripheral inflammation created from, um, let's say, gut inflammation actually can trigger aspects in the brain that exhibit as anxiety and depression. And really, it's our whole being is off. Yeah, it's... Uh... I love that you brought it back to what, what they would now call alternative medicine, right. but uh, I love how they use the terminologies that conventional is the thing that's been around for a hundred years and alternative is, are the practices that have been around for longer than we've kept track of history. So, uh, cause that goes back way, way beyond Renaissance era medicine too. I mean, you look at the traditional healers of traditional cultures, like you mentioned, you were trained by some shamanic practitioners that the shaman was the medicine man, but he was also the therapist. He was also the priest and the spiritual counselor. He was all of these things because he was the healer or she was the healer. And that is, there's no isolated thing. They didn't have someone to teach the people this and teach them this and do this. It was all one person and, or a group of people, but it was all the same, the same practice. Like it was, there's no separation. Separation has come recently and you mentioned the i'm glad you defined psychoneuroimmunology because we were throwing around that term as if people understand it or know what it means so mm -hmm. i apologize that's like a ten thousand point word in scrabble i think um we t you, you mentioned how you know gut inflammation can trigger systemic inflammation which could lead to symptoms of depression or anxiety because it you know the inflammatory things are going on in the in the brain can that work the other way can something you think or thoughts or emotions, things like that, can that work backwards? Can that trigger the inflammation? Yeah. And that's where, geez, we can I'll try to keep it short, but that's where mental health is going right now is focusing in on the fact that developmental trauma and shock trauma, they, they used to call it um, trauma in general was severe neglect or sexual abuse or physical um, abuse. And what we're finding out in the literature is that developmental trauma, um, a caregiver who isn't responsive, being a latchkey kid, being bullied, uh, coming from a divorced home, habitually that response is far more vir virulent than a one-time sexual molestation in the fact that when we are a child and we experience things that are either confusing or overwhelmed neurologically, we don't have the adult aptitude yet to really understand it. And that creates a fireball in our brain. And it's got to go somewhere because we don't have the prefrontal cortex yet. We don't have the insular cortex. We don't have the anterior cingulate gyrus. And it gets hit and it pushes and it creates a, a burned in inflammatory response where now where all of the adverse childhood experience studies are going is right to the gut and right to peripheral inflammation. And the fact that if anybody does present with certain markers, likely there's a mental emotional issue that they haven't addressed. And, you know, you don't have to go too far from further than Nadine Marcus's Ted talk on the fact that if a pediatrician sees a child with asthma, he better start assessing for developmental trauma. And then 
an elder individual in the ICU who has COPD, which is the highest risk factor for childhood trauma. So childhood trauma and unprocessed stored emotions, that's why I got into mental health, actually in the literature is creating chronic disease. I was blown away when I first started learning about those statistics about adverse childhood events. And, and by that's, there's a, there's a, by the book definition of those. And some of them are what you would think the more severe Mm -hmm. things. And then some of them, like you mentioned, are like parental neglect and um, those type of more developmental things. But uh, shout out to Nikki Gratrix is the first person I ever saw present uh, that information and I, it was in person too. Remember when there used to be like in-person conferences? Uh, it was in person. And I remember everybody just got up and walked out of the room afterwards. And I sat there and was like, why isn't everyone talking about this? Because it was like mm-hmm. exponential increases in autoimmunity, exponential increases in addiction, exponential increases in suicide, exponential increases in depression and anxiety, exponential increases in cancer rates. And I was like, what, what the hell, how did, did, did I see a different thing than everybody else? Like, why, why isn't anyone else here asking questions or like, why isn't this the focus? Like, why aren't we looking at this? And it's cause there's no, there's no pill for that. There's no supplement for that. There's no, you know, it's outside the scope of a lot of people, I think. And, um, I was just blown away. Like we, we don't need to get into statistics. Look up Kaiser Permanente in California did the first ACEs study. That's a huge study. Look it up, look up ACEs and health issues and you will find a million things and it'll blow your mind. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. so um, you mentioned the difference there. I want to stop a second. You mentioned shock trauma and you mentioned developmental trauma. Yeah. And um, I think people listening are probably familiar with like the term PTSD yeah. Uh, as far as trauma goes. And I, I, like you mentioned, I think most people would probably equate it with like, I was beaten as a child or I had a sexual assault or I witnessed a murder or like some thing that everybody would identify as trauma. But what you're talking about are more subtle things that um, aren't a one-off event. Right. And that, that, that actually you said has been shown to kind of influence our physiology potentially even more than the one-off yeah. trauma that yeah and this is this is the 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 client that comes in and addresses some mental health um symptom and always says but i had a good childhood and i'm like ah, that's mm-hmm. the best famous words i i love well when we look at developmental psychology in each stage of life if we look at it as a staircase each developmental stage in life be it zero to three or four to five or five to seven, there is a developmental skill or need that we have to help graduate healthily to the next stage. But unfortunately, we live in a culture where our primary caregivers, one, it wasn't modeled, and two, don't know how to show proper responses of attachment. And when our needs aren't being met at various different uh, developmental stages, because there is no book on how to be a parent. Well, that is a stored trauma because a child becomes overwhelmed and confused. They don't know why mom and dad are breaking up. They don't know why mom and dad are yelling. Uh, they don't know why they're being bullied. They, they don't know why they're coming home and alone. And it creates confusion and overwhelm and a defense mechanism then shows up that's behind that. And the more developmental trauma or needs that aren't being met has a cumulative effect down the road and you bring up PTSD. When we look at the at the data among soldiers, it's a direct correlated link of those that have high risk for developmental trauma are affected and diagnosed with PTSD with those that did not have the same exposure to developmental trauma yet are in the exact same experience don't develop PTSD. So what we're, what we're really understanding in the medical mental model, which, you know, we can argue is horrible. uh, But what we're recognizing is that everything is associated to unprocessed trauma. I thank you for that really clear explanation. I, I didn't know the differentiation until I, um, I recently went through, uh, Gabor Mate's training program, uh, compassionate inquiry. And he talks a lot about the correlations <coughs> between developmental trauma and 
chronic disease and chronic issues and also um, the ability, like not the ability, the susceptibility to being what we would consider traumatized. Like you mentioned, like you could track which soldiers were more in line to wind up with PTSD from the same event um, because they, they, they didn't receive the care in those similar type, any sort of situation like that as a child and the attunement and everything that would teach them this is okay, or this is going to be okay. So it's not okay. And so they're having like an overloaded reaction to something that um, someone who did receive that as a child would be able to, I don't want to say move forward or move on past something a little easier, but it doesn't have the same shell shock to the nervous system. And um, we learned all kinds. I was like, why are we studying child development? This is supposed to be about this. And it was all... Um, yeah, Gabor, he's great with the mix between, um, mental and physical health too. Like, yes, I read his book 10 years ago and it was too much for me then. Like, I was like, ah, this is interesting, but I can't handle being this responsible for my clients. So, um, but, um, so you would say the way trauma is understood in our culture is probably a little misunderstood that that these type of things, because you mentioned in our, in our culture, they're so commonplace and we're not trying to throw parents under the bus. Everybody does the best job that they can. And, you know, there's factors in our culture that make it very difficult to uh, proper. You mentioned parents don't have the education. They don't know the right things. And also, you know, the stress levels that everybody lives under and the way that our culture is designed to pull the parents Mm -hmm. out of the house, you know, and the, and the things women have to deal with, with, if you, if you have a career and you're out of the house and you have somebody watching your kid, you're a bad mother. But if you stay home and be a mother at home and you don't do the career, you're wasting your life and you're not doing, you know, all these things. So, um, and you're reinforcing the patriarchal aspect of our culture and they lose lose, like every which way, Mm -hmm. which then trickles down to the kid too, I'm sure. So, what do you think is most misunderstood or in the culture about trauma? Like, what would you like everybody to understand about it that maybe they don't? That Gabor Monte is right. That we have a culture and a world walking around that was not nurtured in a way to create individuation and true authenticity as well as the caregivers in the last hundred to 200 years aren't present enough to show the the responsiveness of what healthy attachment looks like. So he's completely correct. And we live in a society of a lot of folks struggling from a demoralized mind, thinking that they're living up to expectations, yet the mental health industry is completely overwhelmed or all on a wait. So what's giving? What's giving is we think that we're living in a healthy society. We think that we had a great childhood or in all actuality, we were suppressed authentically and we didn't get the responsiveness that we needed at each developmental stage. And, you know, you say we can't blame parents. And it's funny because I'm known as the guy that really is hard on parents when they bring children to me and want me to change that behavior. And I'm like, yeah, no, 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 no. You did not get the book on how to uh, raise a kid because there is no book. So he's just a symptom of the family and usually what the dyad is, the parental dyad. So what we need to do is start looking at how are you responding to this child? How are you attaching to this child? Where are you suppressing authenticity because it's a little overwhelming for you? Uh, And I, you know, I don't mean to be too wordy, but it's Gabor Monte. It's, we weren't raised in a responsive way that it created healthy attachment with our caregiver and our authenticity is most likely um, suppressed. And then you throw on top of that, the, the having to live up to the capitalistic society where in the 1970s, because of our economic system, two parents had to go to work when, you know, I don't mean to bring up, well, it takes a tribe, tribe to raise a child, but there were elders that would come in and take over. There were uncles that would come come and take over. Men would have a right to passage that doesn't happen. So it goes back to how we were raised. Yeah, I yes, it's been an eye-opening experience for me to learn a lot of that and then realize um, that, yeah, children are the products of their environment. So it's, 
being an adoptee, the nature versus nurture question uh, has been one that I've always found interesting and leaned heavily into the nurture end of it. I'm sure there's some things that that are are tendencies and things that are picked up, but um, how do the parents respond when you tell them your kid's behavior is not the thing that I need to help fix? I was fired once um, and I've learned over the course of my uh, career change on how to soften that. I'm kind of known, I was known as the shock and awe. I would really love confronting narcissistic injuries. I really like confronting maladaptive defense mechanisms and cognitive fallacies. And then I took on more of the compassionate inquiry approach, which is, wait a minute, parents are doing all that they can in the society that we're in. And there, as my dad said one time, there isn't a parent that wants to create damage on their child. But, yeah. you know, we, we live in a society. So I began to dampen it down. Uh, I use a lot of metaphors, a lot of symbolism. Um, what I really try to do is engage with the kid with these stories that are really for the parent. And then you see the parent, you kind of look over uh, there, you know, go yeah, shaking yeah. their head. Like, for instance, use yeah, one last night. Clever. Who has higher anxiety, parent or child? Or parent does. Yeah, you're right. And then where's yours? Oh, it's somewhere here. So when you're going through something, your anxiety level goes up. What happens? My parents' anxiety goes up. All right. And then what happens? Short story. Well, they try to fix it or I get dismissed, or I get gaslighted, right? Why? Because they want to feel better. Yeah. So once I can express to parents that their reaction to helicopter and get too involved and fix what their child is going through is one, resolve their own angst, but two, it does not encourage the child to learn healthy coping mechanisms on their own. So sometimes we just need to back off and let them go through what they're going through. So it all depends on the approach. Um, it all depends on the parent as we may or may not get into it. I, what I do is look up who's showing up. And if it's a lower developmental defense mechanism, I tread carefully. If it's a more developed, older defense mechanism, then I can be a little bit harder. Gotcha. Um, thanks for the thorough explanation. And yeah, I've learned to be a lot more gentle with people after going through compassionate inquiry as well. Mm -hmm. And, and that includes with myself. Um, because, you know, I don't, I'm not going to speak for anybody else. I don't want to say we, but I tend to be a pretty, um, harsh critic of myself and, um, learning these things about, how these patterns are formed and the role of developmental trauma in behaviors and in the ways that we adapt in life really helped me have a lot more compassion for like the younger version of myself that was told that I was poorly behaved or I was this or I was that or whatever. And so um, it's helped me have a lot more compassion in general to people that are doing their best. And so we wanted to, I want to talk a little bit about functional medicine and where that comes into mm -hmm. the mix here. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, you know, we, we've talked a lot about how um, trauma and developmental trauma and unprocessed emotions and things like that can affect our physiology. Um, everybody that's listening to this probably knows how nutrition affects the physiology or exercise affects the physiology and sleep and things like that. But what I've noticed in shifting myself over more towards the mental health side and away from the functional medicine side is that just as many in the functional medicine world are kind of naive when it comes to the impact of these things that we're talking about, the trauma and the emotions and the energy, if we want to get really out there or any of that, um, mm -hmm. I've found that a lot of professionals on the mental emotional side are just as naive when it comes to the impact of nutrition and healthy lifestyle and exercise and things like that. They want to therapy everything and therapy is great. And there's practices over here that are great and life-changing and I've had awesome experiences, but can you speak to like the impact on one's mental and emotional health? If they swap out real food for processed food, or if one we talked about before we went on air is if they, they go to bed at 10 o'clock instead of 2 a.m. or those type of changes that our audience here would know a lot about? Like, how does that stuff affect one's mental and emotional health? So I want to validate what you just said, that the mental health 
industry really doesn't validate the peripheral inflammation can exist and the impact. And the way I want to validate it is when, when you become a therapist, state of California, there's various stages. You have to go through a, a clinical practicum and then you have to sit with 3000 of these before you can sit for the board exam. So you have a clinical supervisor and the first clinical supervisor I had said, yeah, that's psychoneuroimmunology stuff. And they asked, she goes, don't do that. When there's an avalanche of evidence yeah. that is moving the mental health industry in that functional medicine model where what you're bringing up, which are two basic things, what time are you going to sleep and what the F are you eating? Well, it's easier to talk about what, what time you go to sleep. And, and here's why. Simpler. So the way we wake in the morning is we get what's re, what's called a cortisol surge. And that is a pro-inflammatory uh, hormone that is good to have. It helps wake us up because it's recognizing that glucose is, is dropped and we need to wake up so we can reestablish that glucose level. So it begins to secrete and it has the same circadian rhythm as the human body. It likes getting up and going to bed at the same time the human body does, which is roughly around 10 o'clock. Well, if you're up late past 10, then there's an exponential impact on the amount of cortisol that's being secreted in the body. And then it becomes from an okay pro-inflammatory responder to a chronic inflammatory responder that creates havoc on the body. So what the study suggests is that when cortisol levels are raised past 10 o'clock and each hour is exponential on the secretion, well, what it does is inhibit a, a thing called GABA. GABA also likes to wake up in the morning and GABA is an anti-anxiety neurotransmitter and it's mainly processed in the gut. It goes up the vagal nerve and then attaches in the brain. But when cortisol's up all night and pissed off, it suppresses GABA. So now we wake up with this weird cyclic effect, wondering why we have anxiety going to work. Well, because you kept cortisol up. Cortisol is nothing but a child who needs to be in bed at a certain time. So that's usually how sleep is. And then, you know, there's a, there's a DSM diagnosis for people that work swing shift. And we know that people that work swing shift actually have lower life expectancy. I'd like to briefly interrupt this conversation to let everyone know that we've got a free downloadable Foundations of Wellness Starter Kit. It's available for you right now over at www.rebelhealthtribe.com backslash foundations. If you'd like a little help organizing and implementing all your learning from this podcast, a gift from our team over at Rebel Health Tribe, producers of this show. And now back to your episode. Now, when we get to eating way different, so a philosopher in 15th century, uh, Marcello Francino in Italy said that our well-being is attached astrologically and that people that had angst likely were carrying Jupiter with them and Jupiter would eat the intestine. So he began kind of the first realm of looking that mental emotional angst is, well, I shouldn't call him the first one, is a sign or uh, can, can correlate to digestive issues. And then Hippocrates said, all diseases start in the gut, which is true. Men, it's mentally, emotionally speaking, 80% of your serotonin is derived in the gut, 40 to 60% of your dopamine. We already talked about GABAs. And when you're eating high inflammatory foods, your gut needs to digest whatever you eat. So it already has a subclinical inflammatory response. There's already some inflammation in the bucket. And then when we add processed foods or even foods that you're sensitive to, and the bucket begins to overflow, then we get an overproduction of these cytokines. Uh, three specific ones for mental health are called interleukin-1, interleukin-6, and tumor necrosis factor uh, alpha. When those raise then they specifically decrease, especially interleukin one decreases serotonin. And when we decrease the amount of serotonin and that interleukin is trying to push that, that serotonin up through the vagal nerve past the central nervous system, it's suppressed. We don't get enough of it. And then it actually passes a blood brain barrier and inhibits the receptor from receiving it. And that causes depression. Same with interleukin-6, but that's more of anxiety. 
Uh, and then there's tumor necrosis factor alpha, which really comes from dysbiotic gut dysbiosis. And then these things called lipopolysaccharides, it's just poo, it's bacterial poo. Well, when I have a, a client that shows up either with depression, then I'm assuming interleukin one's up, anxiety interleukin six is up, and then tumor necrosis factor alpha is really in reactivity and hostility. What I do is begin to think, okay, well, this, the, the irritability and the reactivity, we really need to look at some subclinical infection or, or a large amount of uh, lipopolysaccharide. So what we eat matters. And that's where I bring the functional medicine into the mental health realm. As you and I talked about how we ran all over looking for the best functional medicine curriculum. And then you and I are criticizing openly the current functional medicine model because everybody has their own best way and it's convoluted. And as you and I said, we just need to make it simple. So of all the tests that I've learned in functional medicine, I start with just one. And it has to do precisely with the gut and what people eat. And I don't mean to over talk, but there's a reason why I run the test. Immediately what I look for when somebody is exhibiting mental health is how, how high are they sensitive to silicetic acid? And if they're usually resistant to silicetic acid and it's elevated, it's because they don't have enough phenyl sulfur ACE within their body to break that down. And that's where even some fruits and vegetables come in that can cause depression, anxiety. And that's likely due to non-alcoholic fatty liver and cyclooxygenase two is elevated, which suppresses the enzymes that enable us to even digest food, proper foods. So it isn't just processed foods, it's even food sensitivities that can create that. So I know that was long-winded, but what we eat matters. And if we're suffering anxiety, if we're suffering depression, if we're suffering reactivity, and if you're suffering from fatigue, likely you have an inflamed gut. Thanks. No, that was perfect. And it like, that's one, well, you actually gave a few examples, but some pretty clear examples. And there's like, we could talk about this for like 12 hours. Like there's, you could go, I mean, you could go connection to connection to connection to connection and it's pretty endless and what you'd eventually realize is that there's not like a series of connections it's just a all related interwoven web of things that can't be separated from each other which brings us back to the first thing we talked about is that this can't be compartmentalized that what you eat is not unrelated to how you think it is not unrelated to how you feel and it's not unrelated to what your skin looks like and your mental health is not unrelated to your you know, sleep patterns and this, and like, they're literally, if you made a dot for every single like thing like that, you could link every one of them to every one of them in some way or another, which some people don't want it to be that way. Cause that's not a simple model that they can sell a protocol for that. This is the way to fix everything. Um, but it is the fortunate or unfortunate truth of the matter is that it's all, all interwoven together. And, um, I think it's really interesting. I, I've, I'm fascinated with the people who are doing the work that merges the fields together. And I know how complex it is, but there's also simple things like we talked about before, I think it was before we went on air that, you know, uh, starting with just the foundations, you said you only run one test and some people are out there, well, you can run more, but you start with one. And I know some people out there are thinking like the more complex the protocol, the better. The more tests, the better, the more this, the better. And we were talking before we came on air about like, let's start with the foundational basics of what you're eating and how you're sleeping and what, what air you're breathing and what water you're drinking. And um, I know for me personally, shifting those things in my life had a profound impact on my mental health before I found any of the, the healing work I've done since then. And so um Kudos to you for taking such a deep dive in both areas. I think that um, I'm excited when there's a practitioner that even has like a rudimentary understanding of the other quote side uh, that isn't their specialty. I get really excited when there's somebody that's gone pretty deep down the, the rabbit hole of both. So do you, do you do functional like with your, I guess you're pretty much just, 
Yeah. I don't know. Do you do functional medicine stuff with each client or is that something they opt into or is it, I'm not going to work with people unless they're willing to address both sides of this equation or how does that work? So I'm, I'm client centered. So I meet whoever's in front of me and I want to go back to what you said and just kind of let people know that if you've got some digestive issues or you're in an existential type stress, your being is off. It isn't your digestive system is off or you're not in the right job. You are imbalanced as a being. So these signs are just letting you know that there's imbalance in your life and focusing on just one is, is not the direction to go. It's taking care of the being as a whole mind, body, and spirit. So to answer your question directly is I used to, it's my way or the highway. It's you, you have to run these three tests. You have to pay me this amount of money. You have to take these supplements. You have to do these mental health uh, exercises. And what I began to realize is that we are all in various stages of life and not every, there is no cookie cutter approach. So I'm more client centered. And if somebody just comes in and wants just the mental, emotional psychotherapy component, I'll meet them there. If somebody reaches out on my website and is like, Hey, I just want to run one of these tests. I'll meet them wherever they are. Where I try to pull people to is within, if it's a, if it is a being imbalance, then we have to focus in on a being. And that gets the words of primary self-care, which we don't do. It wasn't modeled for us. And all you have to do is look at your parents and find out how did they self-care? What was their sleep hygiene like? What was their diet like? What was their stress like? And likely they were off too. So how the hell were you supposed to learn it? So just teaching minor self-care is really where I like to head. But no, I'm not going to just tell somebody they have to do a psychoneuroimmunology approach. I'm going to meet them wherever they are, reestablish and heal that defense mechanism. Then the more appropriate one's going to show up. And then the more appropriate one, and then their horizons are going to open up. And then they'll be open to different modalities. And I can refer them to, to a plant shaman. I can refer them to other areas that are outside of my scope of practice and get them to heal. You, uh, thank you. You mentioned something there. Um, well, you mentioned the plant shaman. I want to just touch in your bio and I know this cause we know each other. Um, you <laughs> got certified for ketamine assisted therapy yeah. Yeah. and ketamine it's classified as psychedelic therapy by a lot of people. Um, it's kind of on the fence, like what I would personally, I think that's a subjective definition for a lot of people. And for me, ketamine, I don't know if I would put it in or out with the term psychedelic, but it's definitely a consciousness altering substance. And I have experienced ketamine therapy myself. And um, what drew you to, to learning how to work with ketamine and what, who might want to consider it and why? Oh boy. Um, unfortunately, ketamine is the only um, legal substance that we can use in the realm of psychotherapy related to psychedelic psychotherapy. So that was the only choice I had, but what, what got me there? It's the reverence I have for plant medicine. Ayahuasca and Wachuma changed my life, but unfortunately I can't do that legally under a license in the state of California or just about anywhere in the United States. So that was the only option. What I, oh boy, I can get way deep. So we'll just keep it simple. What I like about ketamine and my experience with ketamine is it's a very mild experience. When you have experienced things like hydocilocybin or you've experienced iboga or anyone that has really been knee deep in ayahuasca and done it more than a few times, Those are very difficult experiences, both physically and emotionally, and they can tailspin you. Um, First experience tailspin me, and I was suicidal afterwards. With ketamine, it's such a mild uh, dissociative, and there's three different ways that you can administer it, which really helps with whoever's showing up. You know, you can do an intermuscular, and that will blast you off pretty quick, but you come down very quick. 
uh, sublingual, depending on if you have um, intestinal permeability or not. But it's just a very gentle way for you to push outside of your body and outside of the realm of experience and just understand what you're going through mentally, emotionally. And although it's a conscious altering and sort of a psychedelic experience, I'm finding it as a really good fit in the mental health area while we're working on MDMA and psilocybin. Um, I went towards it because it's, it's the only thing I can legally yeah. utilize, but then my experiential, experiential um, experiences with it is it brought the same lessons that ayahuasca was bringing, but way more general where I could see this distrusting part and how that plays a role. And what I thought was fear coming in, which is a dark cloud. And when I, be, when I was not caught up in these really difficult experiences, I was able to like investigate it, realize it's not fear, it's freaking sadness. So I really got in touch with those parts. That's why I like ketamine. And the experiences that I've had clinically have been positive. I've yet to have a negative experience, knock on wood. Um, and those people that come out of it can integrate a lot easier. And it's much easier to set an intention than it is with a plant spirit that's arcane to our culture. Yeah, I, that's an interesting, thank you for sharing that. Um, I keep like hearing something and be like, oh, I'm going to ask him about that. And then you say another thing and another thing. So the last thing that you hit there was the difference between ketamine and the plant medicines. And my experience with it too, is that um, with things I would consider more psychedelic than ketamine, like the mushrooms or the, mm -hmm. you know, the plants, the ayahuasca, the, you mentioned Iboga, um, if people really want to push the boat out um, that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> those plants and those medicines, they're conscious like you are. And that can be debated, I guess. But the experience of those is a an experience that is not being guided by you. Like that is like you're not in charge. Um, and um, there's something there with you, someone there with you. Like it's that and ketamine in my experience, I, I never get, I've never, and I don't have a ton of experience with it, but I've never had that same experience of like this substance has a consciousness or this is trying to show me something or teach me something or whatever. It's just a tool that allowed me to separate from some of my bloops and stories and patterns and see them for loops and stories and patterns and not see them as myself. Like, to dissociate it's a dissociative to dissociate from i am not that thing that i keep doing i am not that thing that you know i keep thinking and you can kind of be like whoop, and zoom back out a little bit see the thing and i would guess from a therapist's perspective that's valuable because then you can discuss that with the client and it gives them a different perspective and a different experience of themselves and of their loops and of their things because I know we take it for granted. We've been through a lot of training. We've probably done a lot of therapy and a lot of medicine things and whatever, but we yeah. take it for granted that we understand. And I even forget this many times a day. You're not the story that's running through your head. Like you're not the narration. You're not the loops. You're not, that's not what you actually are. And I know you call your, um, your package here is that you work with clients soul quest. And you do a lot of talking about being your being that's out of balance like that pattern that somebody comes and they want to try to break, like, oh, I have this negative pattern that I do all the time. That is not what you are. And I think we tend to identify ourselves completely with these patterns and these behaviors and these things. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. I found ketamine to be like, a, it makes it impossible to do that for a moment. <laughs> well, I, I've got your books up here, Reich's book and Kessler's book and Johnson's book that you sent me um, to prepare me to write for the platform on Honora that you asked oh, yeah. me and, and Those are personality that, patterns and behavior patterns, right? Character patterns, yeah. So I, I, I read them. So thank you for those. Mm -hmm. But what you're getting at is that what I wish people would realize is that we all have disassociative identity disorder. The true core is not the one that's going in the pattern behavior and those negative feedback loops. It's the defense mechanisms trying to protect the system. You know, we, we, go, we go back to how we are not compartmentalized 
earlier, well, our psyche is not compartmentalized either. We think that we have a personality. We don't. We have compartmentalized psyches and defense mechanisms that show up at various different times that help us manage. And the back is the true core us. And it's not the true core us that is habitually falling into these issues that clients come to me with. What it is in my viewpoint is developmental trauma patterns and areas in life that we had to behave to survive. Uh, Gabor Mate talks uh, a lot about a story of a, of a boy wanting a cookie and his mom really yelling at him like, leave me alone. You already had a cookie. It's time for dinner. And then he quickly realizes that he's to suppress his needs and to, to, to behave in the world is to not assert his need, not assert what he wants and behave in a way that that is way less assertive, I guess is the right word. And then you go around life in a more of a codependent lifestyle and less assertive, no boundaries. And we're not that. And plant medicine, I, I revere plant medicine because it does have a spirit. And I know it's difficult for people in our culture to understand that, but plants do have a spirit. You and the shaman are ingesting that spirit, calling in spirits and allowing it to navigate and do the work through your awarenesses to help you see how you're actually showing up. And I'll just give you a, for instance, that be careful with your intention. I want to know how I was getting in my own way. Well, well, mother ayahuasca showed how I was getting in my own way and it was painful but with ketamine, as Michael's suggesting, you get to dissociate away from that and become more of a viewer of the symbolism of the patterns in your life. And that's why I lean towards psychoanalytic approaches and depth psychotherapy is pulling the person out of their experience, beginning them to symbolize it. And they're much able, they're way, way more apt to see how like, oh, geez, I put myself in a position to feel unseen, right? Right. So what what has to happen for you to be seen? I got to put myself in a position to be seen. So allowing yourself to get out of yourself and see it. Uh, plant medicine does it. Ketamine does it. And various um, psychotherapy interventions can help with that. Yeah, I I share your chuckles when you mention about how plants may show you something. And <laughs> it's it's not. Um, and I, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for psychedelics. Like I, Me either. They, they say my life and I'm pretty open about that. And it feels good to say that because I didn't share that for a long time. Uh, Cause I was worried about stigmas and taboos and judgments. It's also not a ringing endorsement for everybody listening to this podcast to run out, find some mushrooms and eat as many of them as you can. So do not go wild west, uh, in that arena, I'm not endorsing that. I'm just saying that those experiences uh, changed and saved my life more than more than once, um, and uh, I'm gonna forever be grateful for that. And so, um, it's it's something that means a lot to me too. I, I appreciate that, especially given the um, oh, how, what word am I going to look for the the mainstream commercialism of psychedelics and the movement of that. And you really Just something I never thought I would see. I, I honestly you, you, never thought I would see it. You really have to be ready for these. And this is where I was mm. critical for maps for quite some time and Rick Doblin, because I really thought that they're going to take the pureness out of it. And what we're finding in the research that they're doing, and I think they're doing a good job now is the efficacy within these psychedelics was not good one study would say it works, one study would say it didn't. And it was when they began to bring in the indigenous practices of how much work it takes to set the right intention before you drink the medicine. And in our culture, we have to have integrative care. The more that they brought in the indigenous aspects of um, these plant medicines and these other medicines, the more efficacious it became. So I know we're going to get somewhere sensitive now, but yes, psychedelics don't work for everyone. Just like somatic work doesn't work for everyone. If trauma happened to the body, that's the last place I want to get somebody because it's going to cause them to depersonalize, dissociate, and maybe become uh, psychotic. So we have to really assess ourselves as well as find those within a lineage who know what they're doing. And if anybody really wants some 
some good referrals on plant medicine, please reach out. There's one person in particular that I refer everybody to. She follows the Shipibo Kinibo tradition. She does not bring the commercialized Western culture into it. Um, the way that they practice is pure to the source of the spirit. Um, as well as somatic work is you're probably going to get some emails. <laughs> so no, I'm glad yeah. I, I want to give it a platform. Like um, I, I kept quiet about it for way too long and it was, um, it didn't feel authentic. That, so, that's the key word. So yeah. you and I have that in common. We talked about this before we started the start of the recording that what's it feel like you and I creating a lifestyle where we can be authentic. I too could yeah. talk about ayahuasca. I too couldn't talk about psychedelics, psychedelics in industry. Uh, I was in, I'm like, F this, I don't care what anybody thinks. Yeah. This is, this either. is me. This <laughs> it's is like, if that's I a am. problem, then cool. That's your problem. And uh, you don't have to listen yeah. and you don't have to be here and like, you're welcome to be here, but it's not, I didn't do anything wrong. So, um, that changing the story around that for a long time was challenging for me. So it feels good to, to uh, openly talk about it. So um, we're kind of out of time. We could talk for like ever. So I'm going to direct people if they're interested in checking out you and what you do, we'll have the links below. We'll have a link to your site uh, down below. If they go there, where should they start or what should they do or who, who's the ideal person who reaches out to you? What do you, what would you like to see come your way? Where I am in my career right now, um, I'm booked out. So I just want to let everybody know that it's difficult for me to apply services. I'm booked out. Souls Quest package is booked out. I do want to let folks know that I'm working really diligently hard on coming up with co coursework related to how to address unprocessed emotions and bring in self-care and functional medicine for either life coaches. I just partnered with a large lab that's gonna allow me to, uh, to have unlicensed providers access to functional medicine and sort of what the Gabor Mate approach is, which is how to address unprocessed emotions without overstepping into the mental health realm. So that course will, work, will come. I'm trying to develop a self-developed soul's quest because I'm overbooked and I can't, I'm only one person. So you're welcome to reach out, but if you want services, I'll have to refer you out. What I'm really looking forward to is anybody who needs some extra speaking engagements would love to help uh, push other people's platforms forward, get the word out. Uh, if somebody wants a talk and needs a little bit more information, reach out. I'll do my best to see if I can set up a sure. schedule. I know that was convoluted, but no, no, that's good. That's fine. If anybody, you know, or reach out to me, I'll connect you. With, I'd be happy to connect you with Sean. And um, I'd love to see you on more, on more stuff. And you bring really great information and, and realness to the conversations. And I think that that's absent a lot of the time and that things don't land the same when somebody's not being real about it. So Wow. Now we went down a rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, they don't. About People can detect that. <laughs> life's about authenticity. And we have gray boundaries or gray ethics within the field of, of mental health. And we're told not to share our personal stories. And I call bullshit on that. Yeah. And the more that I tell people what I'm going through two weeks ago, I went dark. And I shared that even with clients and they appreciated that. Mm -hmm. Our whole goal is to live up to our existential responsibility to being everything that we can be. And it isn't until that we become authentic to who we really are, does the world open up. So if your being is an angst, it's likely because you're not being authentic. So yeah, thank drives, you for your authenticity, brother. Drives a lot. Yeah. Thank you for, for acknowledging it. And it's for those out there who hear that and they're like, I could never do that. Or I could never be like that. You can and baby steps like you don't have to go guns blazing out the door day one and and, and show the world every single thing about yourself or whatever um it's each little thing um feels good that you do and it there's no need to be ashamed of who you are i, I know we're running over i'm going to take a couple more seconds first off okay. i'm honored that you called me a friend and i'm very honored that you're you're inviting. Um, that means a lot, but something that you may not be aware of, and I know I've hit on it. 
Michael, I worked really hard on developing a profession and lifestyle where I could be purely authentic to who I am. And you were the first one that has seen it. Very first. And it has moved me. Um, it's overwhelming and it's humble. And for to be a 54-year-old male finally coming into his own is difficult. And I'm often not seen valued and important. And I just want to let you know that I respect you and I really appreciate this more than you know. And that wraps up another episode of the Natural Evolution Podcast. Thanks for listening. And please check out the links in the show notes below to learn more about our guests and grab your free downloadable Foundations of Wellness Starter Kit, which will help you implement what you're learning here and make powerful shifts in your health and your life right away. Just go to www.rebelhealthtribe.com backslash foundations, and you can be started in only a few minutes. If you enjoy the show, please drop a rating, review, or subscribe to stay in the loop with future releases.